listener production. Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. My name is Sean Zeps. I am a father and a husband and I'm a content creator. And I am gay. Because I've been gay forever, I really did think that I understood the LGBTQIA plus experience. I was walking around on planet Earth feeling like I was an expert, but I've come to realize over the course, I guess of the last year or six months really, that I just have so much more to learn. I understand my gay experience, but it was pretty straightforward. I came out in early 2000 for the first time. I was 12, it was to a good friend of mine in her closet. And then my life continued pretty normal. And then it hit me, just recently. Just because I'm a G doesn't mean that I know what it's like to be an L or a B or a TQIA+. So to learn more about this community that I call my own, my family, I just want to speak to different members to find out their experience of what it was like to come out for the first time. And then, specifically, I wanted to understand what it's like to come out again and again and again and again for the rest of your life. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out. I had to think about this before I came in. It was actually last night to a very new friend. It was the first time we had ever hung out. It was at a bar in Surrey Hills, and she just politely asked me, even though she knew I was married to a man, how I identified specifically. So today, I'm very excited. We are welcoming a new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Denny. Denny, my dear, welcome. Please introduce yourself and tell us when you first came out and when you last came out. Thank you, darling. Well, I'm Denny. My pronouns are they, them. I identify as non-binary and queer. I first came out to my best friend in high school at 13 or 14 via text message. And then I took it back two weeks later. And <laughs> I last came out this time last year in lockdown as non-binary to my parents, to my family and friends, and sort of to the world um, by default on Instagram. But very similarly to what you've just said, I feel like I come out every other day in various social situations. Denny Todorovic is a content creator and an LGBTQIA activist. If their name is familiar, it might be because they've been literally on every billboard all over this country wearing a tool skirt, a black blazer, and a thick black beard for the Body Shop self-love campaign. If you've never met Denny, I actually think that you'll get a lot more out of this conversation if you just stop what you're doing on whatever device you're listening to this on and just Google image search Body Shop Denny, D-E. And, I, and then you will totally understand what I mean when I say this human is fabulous. This is what you need to know about Denny before we get started. They grew up and still live in Geelong, although they spend six years living in Sydney, where they were the fashion editor of Cosmo. Thank you very much. Every night they have cocktail hour with their parents at home, and they love nothing more than a serious dance party, an episode of the Kardashians, and anything, I mean anything, to do with celebrity gossip. 
Before we dive in, I want to flag that during this conversation, Denny and I do talk about suicide. If this subject brings up any emotions for you, please be aware that you can call Lifeline 13 11 14 24 hours a day to speak to someone. Now, let's get into it. So at what point in your childhood did you realize, "Mm, I don't think I'm straight? Mm. So I was obsessed with a little TV show called 90210 Beverly Hills. And I (laughs) I had a big fat crush on Brian Austin Green, who played Tori Spelling's boyfriend. And I remember... In Australia, when you start um, grade prep, which is um, in Victoria, it's like the grade one, I think it's, or kinder, you guys call it in New South Wales. It's like the first class you ever do. Um, You get assigned a buddy who's in grade six and they kind of like, you know, they're your buddy throughout the year. Mm. So my buddy knew that I loved 90210 and she bought me this poster of Tori Spelling, but on the back of the poster, it had a picture of Brian Austin Green. So I remember specifically in front of all my friends, I would kiss Tori Spelling like, Dana, Dana, I love Dana. (laughs) But actually in private, I would kiss Brian Austin Green because I loved David. How old were you? Six? Four. Four. I started school when I was four. four. Mm. Okay. Amazing. And Do you remember back then even having a thought about what that would mean? Like, did you know anyone who was gay or lesbian? Did you know anyone or did you see anyone on television who was even uh, queer? Absolutely not. So basically, (laughs) I didn't even know what the word gay was. It wasn't in my, um, you know, vocabulary at all. It certainly wasn't in the vocabulary around me in regional Victoria. Um, But I knew that boys weren't supposed to like boys. And I knew that that wasn't normal. So therefore I just instinctively hit it. It was like a, my own little secret to start off with. Yeah. And do you think that has something to do with your family? Does that have something to do with where you're from? Or was that just the world you saw around you, heterosexual couples, and therefore it was wrong to do anything other than that? All of the above. I mean, I come, I'm Serbian, so I come from a very ethnic family, a very traditional ethnic family of breeders. We have a massive extended family. Um, so, you know, certainly all the, all the parents and all the couples rather around me were heterosexual couples. Um, you know, there were no gay kids at school in grade prep, to my knowledge. There was no gay people on TV or certainly at that age, I wouldn't have looked at television and known, you know, people were gay because... I never saw it. Um, you know, weirdly, I did grow up listening to George Michael and uh, what was that other singer that my mum loved? Boy George. So there was lots of gay music in our house, but I just thought they were like these fabulous men. I didn't know that they had the same feelings as I did. Um, so it was kind of a combination mm. of all of those things. And I don't know enough about Serbian culture, what it's like to live in Serbia, but is there a negative connotation around homosexuality? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. Um There absolutely is. So Serbia is Eastern Europe. So, you know, in many parts of Eastern Europe, being gay is not even legal. You know, um, places like Poland and Russia, um, it's pretty, pretty hectic. My actual ancestry is Romanian. So um, within our community, it's very, you know, my mum is one of seven children. My dad is one of seven children. My uncle was one of nine children. You know, my granddad was one of wow. nine children. So it's like, that's the, that's the purpose of life. You, you grow up, you get married and you have six children. Like there aren't any mm. gays walking around in, in my community. That's for damn sure. 
So between the ages of four and 13, uh, was there a forceful and purposeful suppression specifically because of culture and family? So yes, absolutely. And then to add another little, um, another little loop on my belt, at the age of 10, my parents became Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So there were family members that I had that were Serbian Jehovah's Witnesses, and my dad had always took a liking to that religion. So when I was 10, uh, my parents uh, converted from Orthodox to Jehovah's Witness, and we spent from the ages of 10 to 17 in that religion. So add, add the cultural aspects, mix that up with the religious aspects of going to church three times a week, doing Bible study twice mm. a week, door knocking on Saturday mornings, sometimes on Sunday mornings also, and you have a whole lot of internalized homophobia, my friend. Wow. So for those who just don't understand anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, and to be completely honest, I don't either, uh, what is the stance or was the stance back then yeah. on homosexuality? So Jehovah's Witnesses are effectively Christians. It's a Christian faith. Um, and I always mm. say that being a Jehovah's Witness is a lifestyle more so than it is a religion. You know, it's like being a Muslim or being Jewish. It's it's a part of your life. You dedicate your life to God. And um, Jehovah's Witnesses are probably, in my opinion, having lived that journey, one of the few religions that really live their life to the Bible. What the Bible mm. says goes. And the translation, the modern translation of the Bible says that men who sleep with men, that's a sin. So growing up, that's what we learned. Homosexuality is a sin. Um, okay. You know, sex in general was very sinful. Masturbation was considered to be a sin. There was all these things. So it was just like sex was a big gray area. It was only for married people. Jehovah's Witnesses don't have sex before marriage. So yeah, it's pretty full on. Wow. Okay, so let's just paint a picture uh, for everyone here. We got regional Australia, smaller town, I guess, like not a massive city by any means. Then you have a cultural uh aspect of your life. And though it's not shouting from the rooftop that you can't be gay, it's definitely not around you. So there's a belief system that to be Serbian is you're likely to be straight. And then the third layer of religion. And so I'm really interested, we're going to go down two paths here. The first one is, were you able to find other groups, other places that potentially would have allowed you to express uh, yourself in a different way outside of your family and your culture growing up. Yeah, very much so. So the interesting like sort of juxtaposition between my life was that on Tuesday nights, Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, I was at church. But when I was at school and at home, I danced and I did fashion. So the dance mm. community is very flamboyant, is very full of queer people. You know, at high school, whilst there weren't many outwardly gay people, um, there was probably like three boys in dance class that were all gay. Um, and just, you know, <laughs> you're going to dance class and you're like, learning a routine to Lady Marmalade, like that in and of itself <laughs> fosters self-expression, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then fashion is dominated by gay men. So I do remember actually when I was 17, I applied to study fashion in Paris and the elder of my dad's church, of our church, so an elder is like a priest, um, he actually pulled my dad aside and said, are you sure you want to let Denny do this? Because, you know, the fashion industry is dominated by gay men and I would hate for Denny to be tempted by homosexuality. Just so we understand the timeline here, because I want to go back to the second part of that question is, at what point in your life 
do you feel comfortable talking to your parents? I know, and anyone who knows you or follows you knows you're very close with your family. So with all that we have presented and put out there into the world and the story that is, Denny, around 12 or 13, you start to tell a friend, so you feel more comfortable starting there. Uh, at what point did you tell your family? So it's that's a very layered question because I'm so incredibly close. Like with my parents, as you know, and as people who follow me might know, they are my best friends. They've always had an open door policy. Any question goes, come to us first. So it was really hard to keep that from them, but it was also blindingly obvious to them for so many reasons. So when I was 13 or maybe younger, I was in year seven, I think. So I would have been 12. I used to keep a diary. And to give you some context, my high school experience was bullying every single day, every single day from year seven through to the start of year 12. So, but I would never Mm -hmm. tell my parents that. So I'd write it in my diary that I'm getting bullied for, you know, everyone's calling me gay every single day. And I wrote in my diary one time that I had a crush on my year eight science teacher. And, you know, I had crushes on various boys at school. So anyway, I came home one day from um, a sleepover at my cousin's house and my mum and dad sat me down and my dad said to me, Denny, do you get picked on at school? And I said, yeah, of course I do, like everyone does. And he said, oh, what do they say to you? And I said, oh, they just call me the usual stuff. They just call me a wog boy, like an, it's like an ethnic slur to anyone that's like Middle Eastern or ethnic. And he goes, oh, okay, well, do they pick on you for any other reasons? And I said, oh, sometimes they make fun of me because I dance. And he said, do they call you gay? And I said, yeah. And he goes, are you gay? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, then why do you have a crush on your science teacher? And I was like, you read my diary. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So we sat down in the living room and my dad and mum basically said to me, you know, you're not gay. You just think you are because everyone is calling you gay. And also this is completely normal. All boys go through this phase. My dad even said something to the effect of, you know, I was in the army, honey. I know what it's like. It's just a phase. I promise you'll grow out of it. And I believed them. And so we never spoke of it again until I actually came out to them when I was 19. Wow. Okay. So that is potentially your first kind of interaction when it comes to your family. Did you have a more positive experience telling any of your friends around that time? So I told one of my best friends, it was really interesting because she came to school one day and she said, oh, I hooked up with this boy and I'll name him actually because he's one of our best friends and he passed away in year 12. So she was like, I hooked up with this boy and um, his name was Hamish. And I said, oh my God, no way. And she was like, yeah. And she was like, why do you find that so interesting? And I was like, because I'm in love with Hamish. And she's like, are you gay? And I was like, yeah, I am gay. And this was all via text message, by the way. And then I came to school the next day. Nokia phone. Yeah, literally my Nokia 3310. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I came to school the next day and she was like, right, so you're gay. Let's talk about it. So for two weeks, we had this beautiful moment of like, it was the first time in my life that I could just talk about crushes on boys and footy players. And it was delightful. And it freaked me out. So two weeks later, I took it back and I said, Megan, I'm not gay. Like, this is not a thing. Please disregard everything we've spoken about in the last two weeks. However, that interaction turned quite negative because she obviously went and told a few people around the school and it became like a bit of a gossip girl situation um, around my school. Mm. And that was really, really hard. So that just made me want to not come out even more because I was like, 
I can't even trust people with this. And her and I made up, um, have made up recently, actually, maybe like a few years ago, she was like, I'm so sorry for doing that to you. That was just awful. But it really um, set me back a couple of years in stepping into my own truth for sure. You have a really unique experience, which is um, you basically had a, all of your coming out experiences happened for you. Like your initial ones is someone read your diary and and asked you the question and then you tell one friend and then that friend tells a bunch of other people. And so all of those people, like it's almost like you are robbed of that opportunity to even know who you are because you're still 12 on the journey between 12 and 17, just so we can fill this gap. What is that experience like for you? Are you, uh, at what point do you go, you know what? No, I am this thing. I can't keep lying about it. So all throughout my high school existence, I was, um, I perhaps you could say like asexual. I wasn't hooking up with girls. I wasn't hooking up with boys. I didn't even want to entertain that idea. I was just sewing in my fashion room every like every weekend, not going really to any high school parties. And even when I was, I was just like the, the best friend, you know, the gay best friend that wasn't out. And um, when I turned 19, I had a bit of an existential crisis because I had not kissed anyone, male or female. And wow. I'm a hopeless romantic. I am the person that spent all of their teenage years watching like hopeless rom-coms, daydreaming of the day that I would marry a woman and have children and make my family happy. So at the age of 18, my parents slowly stopped going to the Jehovah's Witness church for their own reasons. And that started to allow a little bit of freedom for me. I started to go nightclubbing because Jehovah's Witnesses aren't really supposed to go nightclubbing. They're not supposed to drink really and get drunk. So I started to just like be a bit more social. And amongst that social activity, I was like, why are all my cousins always picking up when we're going to the club? Like, why am I not picking up? And you really graded on my confidence. So on my 19th birthday, I turned to my best friend and I was like, I'm so depressed by this. Like, I just want to kiss someone. Like, I'm, I'm missing out on life. I felt like Drew Barrymore from that movie. So anyway, on my 19th birthday, I kissed a girl for the first time. And, or just, and it was my first kiss. And it just didn't, just didn't hit right, you know? Like, it was fun. But I was like, mm. something's missing here. You know, where are the butterflies? Where's me being turned on? Like, I don't feel any of those things. And my cousin said, don't worry, it's normal. It's just your first time. Like, you'll feel it the next time. Anyway, three weeks later, I kissed a boy for the first time in the same nightclub, surrounded by my cousins. They didn't see me. And in that moment, I instantly knew, okay, I'm gay and I can't hide this anymore. But even that moment... I didn't choose. That was presented to me. The person I kissed came up to me and was like, you know, are you gay? And I was like, no. And he was like, yeah, but I just really want to kiss you. I'm really attracted to you. And I was like, oh, okay. So even that moment was not a moment I chose or, or sought out. It was just the universe dropping him in front of me at the right time. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm asking is there seems to be a genuine um, exploration uh, that is a little bit longer than, say, my own exploration, which is like, discovers men, is gay, never looks back, whatever. For you, there's a lot of layers going on here, right? So as you might dip your toe in, but then you're pulled back. But you're also talking about having wet dreams about women. And so when you look back in your life, most people often say the coming out experience is them telling their parents, what was that real moment like for you where you finally sat them down and said no, when they knew our son mm -hmm. at the time was gay? So... Even that was not a choice that I made. So I, I hooked up with a boy at the nightclub 
Five minutes later, I saw my cousin slash best friend. I told him. He freaked out and didn't speak to me for a week. So in that week, I spent every single night at his girlfriend's family's house. They were my safe space because they had gay friends in their community. So they were this beautiful Italian family who I'm forever grateful to. So for about seven to ten days, I would go to their house every night for dinner and avoid my parents. Because in the period of the first kiss to coming out to mum and dad, which was two weeks, I'd gone from kissing this boy to then having, like, giving him a blowjob to then sleeping with him. So I went from zero to losing my virginity in two weeks. And I could not look Mm. my parents in the eye. Like, I just couldn't. And then one night I was getting ready to go out for dinner and my mum said, Denny, for the love of God, can you please stay home and have dinner with us tonight? It's been two weeks. And I said, I've got to go. And she's like, why are you running away from us? What's going on? And I just started crying. And she was like, oh, my God, this is serious. Denny, what's going on? And I couldn't speak. And my little brother came up to me and he put his arm around me and he said, bro, are you gay? And I said, yeah, I am. The second I said that, my mum just started, Mm. like, crying frantically but speaking so strongly to me. She was crying and through her tears she said, it's okay. This is a problem that we can fix. Those were her exact words. And I was like, Mm. no, this is, no, we can't fix this, mum. And then dad came down the stairs, he was sleeping. And he said to me, the first thing he said to me was, Denny, I've been waiting for you to tell me this since you were three. And we completely ignored the fact that they'd read my diary like six years prior. That should not have been a surprise to them. But it was heartbreaking. My mum cried for like two weeks on a loop. My brother punched a hole in the garage wall because he was so angry at my parents being so sad. Like it was a lot. Your brother, this is interesting, angry because of how they reacted. Why? He was angry because they were so sad. Like literally I will never forget for the first week, my mum slept on the couch every night. Like she couldn't even make her way upstairs to go to bed. That's how distraught she was. It was the only time I'd ever contemplated suicide or the first time, sorry, I contemplated suicide. It was just, there was a lot of anger and sadness in our house. And my brother is a very emotional person. And um, I was at work uh, and they were having an argument about it. And he was standing up for me and he just couldn't handle it anymore. And he walked into the garage and punched a hole in the garage. That's a punch of support. Yeah. So such a young person, uh, who is going, no, 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 this is my brother. This is the truth. And we're going to stand up for him. Like, you you need to handle this better. What was your parents' journey like? Because uh, to anyone who follows you now, it's like, it seems like the dream relationship. People who completely support you in every decision that you make. So we're going from a dark place to that what, how long does that take? What does that look like? Yeah. So my dad was much better about it than my mum, which really surprised me from a gender uh, gender perspective. From an emotional perspective, it didn't surprise me at all because my dad is very sensitive. There is nothing toxically masculine about my dad at all. People often think he's gay. So he said to me, Denny, I'm just curious, like, how do you know that you're gay if you've never had sex with a girl? I just want you to try it. Like, just go try it before you sign it off kind of thing. My mum was up, came from the headspace of, so the second thing she said to me after the we'll fix you thing is, so this means you're going to get AIDS, you're going to die, you're going to have no children and you can't get married. So mum was coming from fear 
And dad was coming sort of like man to man. I just want to understand you. So, yeah, mm. so it was really very polar experiences. Um, after about two weeks of crying, I came home and I looked at my mum in the eyes and I said, I can't watch you cry anymore, so I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to go find a girlfriend. I'm going to date her, but I'm going to cheat on her with men and that's going to be on your conscience forever. And I just kind of walked away in this moment of saltiness and she just looked at me dead in the eye. So literally the next day... I messaged a girlfriend who that I knew had a crush on me. We had made out before on the dance floor and we started dating. We date, I dated Vanessa for about four weeks while still sleeping with that boy. So basically once I tried it her way and then that didn't work, I came home and I said to them, um, you know, and I also have to thank, like Vanessa was really my first ally because she said to me that night, um, if you want, we'll tell your parents that we're still together, but you can have sex with whoever you want to. You just be gay. I'll be your beard, essentially. Wow. And I said, to, yeah. And I said to her, no, honey, like, I can't let you do that. And I came home and I sat mum and dad down and I said to them, you know, I tried to have sex with her. It didn't work. This doesn't work. I'm gay. So mum basically said, okay, that's fine. We'll live with it. But no boyfriends allowed at home and we don't want to know about sex or boys or any of that. Cause I think that was the first place that my mum's mind went to was like this sex thing. Shortly after that, the elders from my, from our church had to come over and do what's called like a pastoral visit. So they come over and they sit us down and they say to me, so Denny, you claim to be gay. And I said, well, it's actually not a claim. I am gay. And they said, okay, well, we can pray to God and Jehovah can fix this. We can fix this. And my dad turned to the elder and said, we don't, Denny doesn't need fixing. We don't need your fixing. See the door that you walked in, you can exit via that door. And that was the first time I saw visually, I get like emotional thinking about it. That was the first time that my parents sacrificed something so big for me. Like that was their life. Like my dad was, um, you know, like, like an elder's assistant. Like he was giving up his belief, which to some people that just might be like, yeah, whatever. But like I said, this is a lifestyle. Imagine, imagine a woman taking off her hijab, for example, for her child. It's the, it was very much the same thing. They were like, no, we're not doing this anymore. That to me was the first time my parents really showed true allyship and it just blew me away. And then following that, it took about three months for them to go from we're really hesitant and we're resisting this to then three months later, I now had a boyfriend and he would come to pick me up from home and he was only allowed to wait for me in the driveway in the car. It was never allowed in. And one day I'm getting ready to leave and my dad yells out to him, Ben, come inside. We want to meet you. And Ben comes inside and dad sits, mum and dad sit him down and they said, we don't hate you. We don't hate Denny. This is just very new to us. And we've just recently, you know, made this transition from Jehovah's Witness to now just supporting our child. So just give us a minute, you know, we just need to wrap our heads around this. And the week later, they invited him over for family dinner. And that was the beginning of their allyship to me. Wow. I knew that this show in these conversations was going to bring up a lot of emotions for the guests and for myself. Um, and so I'm prepared for it, but it's still hard to hear and it's still hard to 
acknowledge, and it's still, they're, they're happy tears in many ways hearing the story of your father, because what I want to make clear to people listening who are not out, who are young and are unsure, that the story you're telling about your father in particular, that specific example, is a reminder that this is not just your experience. It's the priority is you and your health and your truth for sure. But when you live in a home and you have family members or really close friends and you engage them in your truth, oftentimes it takes them, in some cases, as long as it took you. So you, your story that you've just shared with us, four years old, all the way up until 18, 19, 20, right? A huge chunk of your life where you're coming to terms with this truth. And then sometimes we expect others to be ready in a minute. And it's hard for people to not step up and be ready and willing to accept you in that moment. I hope, and what what got me so emotional was this idea of like, the focus is always on it gets better, but sometimes people get better too, and you just have to give them that opportunity. And it seems like your family got there, and they got there quite fast. So now I need to take a step back. We've had an entire conversation about you as a gay man, but you do not identify as a man. And I think we have a really, really rare, beautiful opportunity to talk about two distinctly separate coming out stories, one attached to sexuality, and now one where you confirmed your own gender, where you really found out your truth. And so I want to talk about when you started on that journey, questioning or even being aware that there was a thing outside of male and female. So I, you know, I speak of this 90210 crush on Dylan story. Before that, even, I knew that I wasn't a boy. I knew that I wasn't a boy. I knew that I didn't want to be a girl, but I didn't know what to call that. So I just, I just reconciled that in my mind as, well, you're just a feminine boy, Danny, and you always will be. It wasn't until I was working at Cosmo, so maybe like five years ago, we did a big pride issue that I sort of was directing and I got an email from someone and they had they, them in their signature. And I was like, what is they, them? Mm. I was like, "Mm." and I Googled it and I was like, okay, kind of parked it. Then like three months later, I started watching a TV show called Younger. There's this hot guy, Nico Tortorella. And then I discover actually he's not a guy. He identifies, they identify as non-binary. What's that mean? So then I did some more research. Okay. Parked it. Then when I was made redundant from Cosmo and Cosmo folded and I came home at the end of my Cosmo journey, and my journey of living in Sydney, actually, which for those listening internationally is the gay capital of Australia, I started to really surround myself with queer people more so than just gay men. And when I started Mm. to step into those queer spaces, I started to see people that I had never seen before, trans people, non-binary people, men wearing heels, men wearing kilts. They just didn't care. And I was like, whoa, I'm into this. So I started doing Mm. that. I started doing that. And my family and friends back home would start to say, oh, Denny does drag now. And I would say, I'm not doing drag, honey. Like, I'm just finally wearing the stuff that I've always wanted to wear. Mm. And then I came home and I was petrified to come back to small town, regional Geelong. I was like, I'm going to start dressing like a boy again. This is going to be really uncomfortable. 
except that it wasn't. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I just kept doing my thing, wearing my kilts, whatever. Then Sam Smith was the light bulb moment for me. When Sam Smith came out as non-binary, he wrote, they wrote this beautiful article for a magazine. I can't remember which magazine it was, but I read that article and sobbed because every single thing that they said is how I felt. But again, I ignored it. I was like, no, no, mm. this is too difficult. The penny didn't drop for me until I met a non-binary person. For the first time a year ago, three months before lockdown, I was at a Pride event and I met this beautiful non-binary person. And as soon as they started speaking about their life and their journey, I was choking back tears because they were speaking my truth in a way that I never knew how to articulate. And that's when I knew, okay, you're non-binary, Denny. Great. Now we're going to have to unpack this. And is there a part of you that thought in that moment, I can't go back and tell everyone a second truth? Oh, yeah. There were many parts of me. That's why it took me so long to wrap my head around it. Um, when the, the first time the penny dropped when I met that person, I was like, okay. Two days later, I called them straight away. We exchanged numbers and I called them and I was like, I need to ask you a bunch of questions. And one of the first questions I asked them was... I've been a gay man for 12 years. I don't want to let go of that. I'm so proud of that. That was a hard journey. And they were like, Danny, you don't have to let go of anything. You can still identify as gay. This is a separate thing. This is your gender identity. And I was like, okay. So I asked them just so many questions. And then I went up to Mardi Gras two weeks later and I came out to my best friend, Riley, first. I sort of said to him, I said, Ry, this is how I'm feeling. I think I would like for you to start using they, them pronouns. I just want to try them on for size. Let's not tell anyone else about this. Mm. Like I was so hesitant. I was so hesitant. And then we went into lockdown literally four days later. And as soon as we went into lockdown, I suddenly had all the time in the world to really research. And, and more so than research, I'm a very spiritual person and um, I believe in something called surrendering where you surrender like a really big decision to the universe and you ask the universe to show you a sign to validate your feeling. So I, one night I just couldn't ignore my feelings anymore and I sort of looked up and I said a little prayer and I said, I think you need to help me here. And that sign just started showing up every day, all the time, out of nowhere, everywhere. And I was like, okay, it's time. And that's when I finally was like, I have to do this. By that point, you are 32, if I'm calculating properly. You have a following uh, online. People know who you are in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, is your coming out experience a public one? So I wanted to be very clear in coming out to my family and my closest friends first and foremost and giving them some time to sit with that. Okay. Yeah. So I came out to my five best friends first, even before to my parents. Um, and they took it incredibly. In fact, they were, none of them were surprised. Not a single one. One of them actually said to me, Joshua said to me, Denny, it's really funny you say this because whenever, because so I worked with Josh at Cosmo, he was my work husband. And Josh said to me, the first time I met you, I never saw you as a boy or a girl. I just saw you as Denny. And multiple people have mm. said that to me. And I was like, wow, okay. So I was feeling so good about it because I was like, oh, this is so great. My friends are so, you know, one of my friends, Amanda, my, my best friend, was just so like, yep, okay, I get it. This makes sense. No worries. Are those five people, sorry, follow up, are those five people 
LGBTQI plus. No, 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 no. Except okay. Sorry, except for I'm I'm lying. Two of five are so uh, Josh and Riley are both gay. Yeah. Amanda, Taylor, and Jessica are not. They're cis women. Um, two are married. Uh, one's a mother. And then one is just like my bestie. But what I would say all five of those people have in common is that they are all very queer in their spirit. The reason I asked is, you know, to get five positive responses to such a humongous, very not new historically, not new culturally, but new in the modern zeitgeist, right, at that time, um, to have five people around you, straight, gay, who cares, except you, it feels to me like, a massive win and maybe reflective of the types of people you surround yourself with. How did your family respond? Not great. So I tailored them into the coming out moment. I cooked them dinner and we were in lockdown. I wrote them a letter. I made like dessert, the whole thing, three course meal. Mama was like, why are you cooking us this dinner? I was like, I just wanted to. And then we sat down and we're about to watch a movie. And I said, we just need to have a chat before we watch this movie. And I'm a writer. I express my feelings best via writing. So I wrote this letter. I printed it out and I sat on the couch and I started reading them this letter. And I said to them, I'm going to read it and then you're going to react. But we can't, we can't, you can't cut me off. And so I read it and there was just silence. And my mum was just heartbroken. She was so confused. She was angry. Then my dad was angry because of the way my mum was reacting. But my dad, once again, God bless him, said to me, Denny, this does not surprise me in the slightest. You could have, you could have told me this when you were two years old and I wouldn't have been surprised at all. This makes absolute sense to me. Like this is who you are. But mum really, really struggled. And this would then become the second time I ever considered taking my own life because I just you know, it was really, really dark. There's something worth exploring here a little bit further for anyone listening, Um, especially because I imagine if you're an ally or you're a mother or a father or a cousin or a sibling listening, it's very hard for you to understand what the other person is really going through. It just seems like this label, this decision they've made in a moment you know, you're talking about something really serious here, which is questioning your life. And I know that it has a direct linkage to the fact that the number one safe spot you're supposed to have your family, the number one most important linkage, your last name, your home that you feel safe in when they are not comfortable, when they are struggling, even if they are doing their best, even if it is justified in their shockness, of course, little Denny, little child, looking at mom just wanting acceptance and not getting it, that's going to be a troubling and traumatizing experience. Yeah, it was it was heartbreaking because, you know, this was a very unique moment in time. We were going through a global pandemic. This was the first lockdown. So the whole world was in lockdown at this point. Everyone was feeling uneasy, unrested, anxious. So every feeling was so amplified during this moment. Yeah. Now in this moment, 
I really took to Instagram to just create content every day. And I was doing these like dance videos and I would come out of my bedroom in like this crazy outfit and heels and whatever. And my mum would just look at me in such a state of confusion. She was just like, what, what's going on here? Like, do you want to be a girl? She kept saying to me, do you want to be a girl? Do you want to be a girl? So when I came out of non-binary to them, they, they were just so confused because non-binary was something they didn't have any reference point to. Like they knew about Caitlyn Jenner, because um, we're big Kardashian people in this house, they knew about you know various other celebrities who have transitioned in a in a much more like male to female or female to male kind of way. This mm. they had no idea what I was talking about. Thank God my mum is a Sam Smith Sam Smith fan because I was like, mum, let me just explain something to you here. But it was really really hard, and you know, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but like you know, one of the things she said to me at the time was like. Well, who's going to love you like this, Denny? Like now you're definitely not going to get married. Like, you know, it's stuff like that. And then you hear stuff like that and you're like, why mm. are you saying this to me right now? I know it's because you're angry, but like, how do you think this makes me feel? You know? And, and she was like, well, what are we supposed to call you now? Are you going to change your name? Like it was just resistance, resistance, resistance. And it was at first very hard. Mm. I can imagine. I can imagine both of these experiences coming out as gay and then later coming out as non-binary. You're also doing both of those things at really unique times in history. It's accidental and it's and I feel terrible in one way and then the other part of me is like you're pushing that you're helping to push this narrative forward and helping to explain to the world these options, but coming out in the 90s and 2000s there aren't a lot of references. So when we're coming out to people, some of them are like, what does that mean? All they know is AIDS. And that is completely justified. That is the entire conversation at the time. For you to come out as non-binary during the pandemic, I mean, was there even, other than Sam Smith, if you happen to read Time Magazine that month, like what other references were there? It seems like such a question mark. And I feel like, and I'm, it's a question, were there a lot of people in your life, in your life who thought this is a gateway to something else? Like Danny will transition? Many, 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 many. So I remember um, there was a slight lift in lockdown at one point and we were allowed to visit each other's houses. And I went to my auntie's house and there was about four of my cousins were there. And we were talking about it. And my cousin said to me, so you want to be a girl, Denny? Like, are you going to get a, you know, and she used a very old term that we don't like to use anymore. She said, are you going to get a sex change? And it just was so grating to me because I was like, no, no, like, I don't know how to make this clear to you. And I tried to use so many examples, but they were just so confused because they just didn't get it. But sort of mm. beautifully, and um, that particular family uh, sort of said to me, well, Denny, look, we're probably never going to get it, but we love you and that's all that matters. But it was really tricky because it was just so new, as you say, not historically, but new sort of, you know, in the zeitgeist. They just had no no reference point at all. I mean, I was so lucky in that my friend that I came out to who's non-binary they sent me a list of people to go and research and discover. Otherwise, I wouldn't even know where to start either. I just found myself Googling every single day, like, what does non-binary mean? What does non-binary look like? Who is non-binary? Can you be non-binary and gay? Like, it was just a constant state of research. But it, at that time, as you say, it was a very specific moment in time. It was like Courtney Act and Sam Smith were my only people that I could use as examples. Mm. How do you 
power through this. I really need to understand this. You're in a you're in a place where you're not getting great reactions. You're not getting people going, thank you so much for telling me your truth. I'm here for you no matter what. You're not getting what I imagine we all hope deep down inside. How does one continue on a journey to loving themselves? And in your specific case, not harming yourself in any way. So there's two things. The sort of beautiful and tragic um dichotomy of that moment is that while my parents were really resisting this, I decided to use this um, moment to share that journey with my digital audience. And my digital audience, as well as my extended group of friends, when I came out on Instagram, I still remember it was like June 23, I think. It was like a half an hour video. It was like a proper like YouTube coming out video. (laughs) Within 10 minutes, two of my friends from Melbourne called me in tears, FaceTimed me in tears you know, we're changing today, them straight away. Just tell us what you want. Like phone call after phone call, message after message, comment after comment of positive, we love you, we love you, we love you. All whilst my mum and dad were really struggling and my mum was seeing all of this love and I think she was feeling quite guilty about it because everyone else, you know, everyone else could accept it, yet she couldn't, which is generally quite normal. So I will say that the first thing that really pulled me through that moment was this overwhelming support system that I got from from the internet because we were in lockdown. It was the only kind of connection that I had. Second to that, the the sole thing that has always pulled me through those dark moments, which also might sound quite ironic, is my relationship with God. So whilst I don't believe in organized religion and I hate organized religion, I've never stopped believing in God and in a higher power, the universe whatever you want to call it. So whenever I've had these moments, I've literally just shut my eyes and prayed. I still call God Jehovah. And I just look up at the heavens and I'm like, Jehovah, like, honey, you gave me life for a reason. I can't be here for no reason. I need strength. And I need, I need to keep in mind that like, we are here to make an impact. I need to live my life. I need to do my life justice for me first and foremost. But otherwise, like what a shame it is to you. Like if you created me as I believe you have, I'm not going to let you down. And by doing that, I'm also not going to let me down. Because I think that's the thing as well that people I think sometimes don't realize is that believing in a higher power is actually believing in yourself because we're all connected. You know, it's like, I am you and you are mine. I am God and God is me and we are all together. So it's like, I owe it to myself and to my siblings um, of life to like, Keep it going. Keep it shining. Um, And that's always pulled me through. Wow. Beautiful. Some questions about the non-binary experience that I imagine impact your ability or force you to need to come out in different situations all the time. I'm interested, as a gay person back in the day, you could pass. I'm just going to use that term. If you don't know what passing means, I guess it's uh, you are perceived as the opposite or the normal in air quotes. Um, You have a bunch of facial hair. You have really masculine features. And so people aren't going to immediately walk up to you if they've never met you before and you're sitting and go, hi, stranger, are you a homosexual? But when you announce yourself and you say, my pronouns are they, them, or you just walk through the world um, with clothes that are presenting a little more typically feminine, 
do you come out, are you forced to come out less because people clock you as something or more than when you were gay? You just literally hit the nail on the head less in a way because if I walk into a room, a shopping center, a nightclub in heels and a dress or makeup or whatever, people just instantly, they're like, okay, this person is queer. Like I don't need any kind of validation. They're queer. I may get asked occasionally by a drunk girl in a bathroom, are you a they them? <laughs> like, are you they them? Um, or like I have they them on my phone case. So it's like, you know, um, sometimes people just ask those questions. But even in everyday scenarios where I'm just in jeans and like, you know, a T-shirt, because of these acrylics that your lovely viewers, I mean, listeners can't see, um, they give it away all the time. But the problem with that is that there is a huge juxtaposition. So as you say, people see my beard, they see the leg hair, they see, you know, the Adam's apple, and then they see the nails and they're like, oh. I get a lot more like weird looks um, as opposed to like, questions. Whereas, you know, when you're younger and you're kind of existing in like that sort of 19 to 25 age bracket and you're going out and as you say, like, I might just be in like a shirt and jeans looking a bit masked that day. Then people will be like, oh, you're a bit gay, you know? And it's like, you kind of have to come out in that sort of way. But when you just swan into a room owning yourself, I think people question you less regardless of how you identify. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm blessed to have non-binary people in my life, but I've never, ever asked when you get asked when you're younger, are you gay? It is an attack on your entire existence. You don't know because you're so young or you're like, what does that word even mean? Or you're trying desperately to hide it and they're basically saying to you, you're not doing good enough. But your experience of people asking you questions about who you are now and how, you, is it similar? Is it hard to hear questions or do you own it in a very different way now? I own it in a very different way. So I have a whole like content series that is based around this where I say to people, you can ask me any question you like as long as it's asked with love and respect. If you're going to ask me things and you're going to put me in spaces and feelings that are unkind, that are nasty, that are ignorant, I can sense that from your tone of voice. I can sense that from the way you're looking at me. Um, You know, there's there's a real difference. So I, I think I really embrace educating. I love educating. Um, and I think the best way to educate is just to lead by example with your life. So I welcome educating people. But, you know, there's also a time and a place, you know, like sometimes I just want to have a margarita at the bar with my friend and talk about Gossip Girl. I don't need to talk to you about pronouns right now. Like I can't be bothered. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's that as well. <laughs> when we were kids... And I want to hold space for your queerness because I've been having a conversation specifically about you through the lens of being gay. Um, You identified yourself at the beginning of the conversation as queer. When we were kids, that was a bad word, right? People used it negatively towards both of us. What does that word mean to you? And what is your journey from moving from self-describing yourself as gay to queer? So gay to me was always painted as like a sexual orientation, a sexuality, Queer to me is a feeling, and I think you don't have to be sexually um, like sexually gay to be queer, which is why I say that a lot of my cis straight girlfriends are super queer. Queer is this beautiful like emotion that perfectly captures 
you know, our community, our identities, the pop culture aspects of our community, the rich history of our community. Queer to me just rolls so beautifully off the tongue. I just love everything about it. Um, And yeah, it's the fact that we've reclaimed power of that word because it used to be, especially in America, I think in Australia, our vocabulary is not quite as nice as yours. Queer is a very British and American term and that term was used really derogatory. Like in Australia, I didn't hear that word growing up. I heard faggot. Like it was a, a punch in the in the guts. So queer to me, I think, is a beautiful word. And I think also because queer as folk was the first visibility I ever had to, to gay, right? I just have such an affinity to that word. So looking into the future, um, thinking about all these beautiful young people who get an opportunity to hear your story, what advice would you give to young people who are struggling um, with their gender or their sexuality? What would you say to them? The thing I would say to them is... If you have that feeling in your stomach, it's called your intuition, please don't ignore it. Listen to it. Listen to it, listen to it, listen to it, because you only get one shot. Your life is of value. You will, you will live such a vibrant, robust life. The second you step into your authentic self, the second you listen to that intuition, and the second that you accept that for yourself and you reconcile that in your own mind, everything else is going to be fine. And I promise, and I know that coming out is layered and it can be really traumatic or it can be really effortless for some people, but it's, it is actually always going to be okay in the end. So I would just say, always listen to your intuition. The second thing I would say is surround yourself with safety, whether that's safe spaces, safe people, ideally both, um, safe resources of education, You just need to be enveloped in safety because it can be a very bumpy journey. You need your seatbelt on. And then the third thing I would do, I would say to them is just to go forth and conquer because you're your own worst enemy. We always are. The second you drop the veil, oh my gosh, you'll just fly and it will just be delightful. I promise. Beautiful. And then I guess a big theme through this conversation is... um, allyship, both positive and then the journey to it being positive, right? We have had conversations about uh, some responses that weren't so beautiful. What advice do you want to give to allies who might be finding out or questioning whether people in their lives are gay, queer, non-binary, anything on uh, the LGBTQIA plus community? Wow, that's a loaded question. My advice would be to really listen to the person that's in front of you. This is not about you. It's actually about them. You may experience a bunch of discomfort while you're listening to them, particularly to the parents and the siblings, you know, because you love this person. They're your little baby. They've grown up, you know, you've carried them in your womb and then they're in the world and you just want them to be safe. And then suddenly they're different. Oh no, they're bullying, the this, the that, they're not going to get married, they're going to catch HIV. All those fears need not come out of your mouth, please. Just listen, provide them the safe space that I just described is what they need. Do your own research then, secondly. And that was one thing that I said to my mum. After I came out, I said, mum, please just go do some research. Google, read, watch interviews, um, you know, double cross your uh, references because sometimes you can read things that are not very true. Um, And just envelope yourself in some education because actually they're not that person's job to educate you as well. You need to do your own due diligence to them and educate yourself. 
And then lastly, you grab that rainbow too, honey, because now you're part of our community and how beautiful and how rich your experience is about to become. My mum now comes to the gay bar with me. My dad loves a drag show, loves RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm going to march with them in pride one day. Like how beautiful that they get to have. They've gained this whole culture and this whole world that they never had before. You know, like this is a, you're getting a gift. Your family and your, and your friends around you that are queer are giving you a gift. So embrace it. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm going to end there. Thank you so much for just being so open and honest. Uh, I appreciate that a lot of this, you know, could have been hard. So thank you. If people want to find you, if they have questions, if they just want to watch like a fly on the wall so they can learn something, how and where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at stylebydenny, which is all one word. Um, I'm also on TikTok. I don't really use it a bunch to create content, but I do occasionally pop up. So yeah, Instagram and TikTok is where you can come and find me. Amazing. And style by, you guys know how to spell that, but Denny is D-E-N-I. Thank you. (sighs) We did it. How are you? How are you feeling? I understand that the episode might have brought up some interesting, conflicting feelings for some of you. And if it did, I wanted to make sure that I could provide you guys with some resources. Minus 18 is Australia's LGBTQIA charity. They have a bunch of great resources on their website. They hold incredible events. And they also offer training for classrooms and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA people. They're also all over social. I follow them. Uh, their handles are at minus one eight youth. So one and eight just spelt out. And their website is minus one eight.org.au. But minus 18 is not a helpline. So if you're looking for that kind of support, you can call Q Life at 1 800 184 527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. So if you want to talk to someone about your gender, sexuality, how you identify, maybe you're struggling with some feelings or a relationship, that's perfect for you. If you're feeling a little bit anxious and you don't want to talk on the phone, that's fine. They also have a web chat feature at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me, Sean Zepp. So my handle is at S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community, and I want as many people as possible to be a part of it. Whether you are LGBTQIA+, an ally, a friend, or maybe you're just curious The very best way to get this little community growing into a big, 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 big family is for you guys to share. So if you liked what you heard today, just share a link in your group chat or an email. I don't care. I'm not too picky. You can even put it in your Instagram story. Just help get the word out. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zepps, and I did everything by myself. All the editing. It's just me alone. There's literally no one. (laughs) Just kidding. Our producer is Lindsay Green, the executive producer is Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.